Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, the Stackwaddy game, okay, and uh, my category this week is Power Pop. You remember Power Pop? Well, I do. That's, that's interesting because there were lots of different times that there was meant to be a Power Pop uh, uh, kind of boom, wasn't it? But I, I, yeah, go and try me. I think I, think I know yeah, which the, the main moment was. Yeah, it's kind of post-punk, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's Blondie and, and so forth. It's loads of groups with narrow ties. It's narrow possibly, ties. Possibly it's with piano keys on Piano them. keys on them. It's, it's a very tight trousers, it's slightly pointy shoes. And I think I can see a linen jacket with the sleeves shunted up the sleeves in the manner, in the manner that, that people like Mike Reed used to wear. Yes. Do you remember there was a... There was... Indeed. Indeed. Or oh, Mike Smith, actually. Mike oh, Smith. Andy Peebles, actually. They're all, all, had all Radio jacket. 1 DJs who wanted yeah. to be slightly hip. Yeah, uh, yeah a little, they would have done little that. thin tie. Go on. They would have done that. Three names of power pop groups, okay, or combos as they might have been called. Um, one of them is invented. Okay, right. here they are: Dirty Looks, The Vinyls, Velvet Crush, Dirty Looks, The Vinyls, and Velvet Crush. Ooh. Which one? Which okay, well, the vinyls. I'll start with the vinyls. I'm fairly sure the vinyls existed. I may be wrong, but they seem familiar to me. Velvet Crush. Velvet Crush. That also seems familiar. But then again, there was a movie, wasn't there? About a band. But they were a kind of underground rock band. Have Dave, to hurry, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm actually going to go for Dirty Looks. Because well, I you... think that's... Am I wrong? You're wrong. Oh, You're okay. You're wrong. Because I, I win there. You win. Because the, the, there were no group called the Vinyls. There is now kind of cover groups that call the Vinyls, but not in the Power Pop era at all, you know. So it's one of those name, names that you kind of think inevitably some band must be must have been called that. They weren't. So I win there. You All right, you win. Okay, well, look, what I have chosen, okay, 
And I want you to imagine um, slides of sunsets being crudely projected onto bed sheets, uh, clunky uh, flashing light systems, pale skinny beatniks and proto hippies uh, bathed in dry ice. And I give you three options here. These are bands that played the UFO club. Oh, okay. So we're talking Two of them are real. 1967, 1967. Yeah, 67, 1967. Two of them are real and one of them is fake. Right. Okay, you've got to uh, spot the uh, spot the ringer here. Okay, Cirrostratus is my first one. Cirrostratus. The second one is the Purple Gang, and the third one is Dead Sea Fruit. Okay, UFO Club, nineteen sixty-seven. Two well, of those groups did play. One of them's made up by me. Okay, well, the Purple Gang certainly existed. I know that, so assume that I'm assuming that they did play there. They did. They supported. Uh, they supported a band called Tomorrow on April the twenty eighth, nineteen sixty. Okay. Well, so, I don't. God, I don't know. Uh, Dead Sea Fruit. All right, they're, they're real. So the ringer is Ciro Stratus. Oh, had you heard of Dead Sea Fruit? No, I hadn't. I that was just a, uh, okay. was a complete shot in the dark. How they were real. Unbelievably annoying. No, Dead Sea Fruit are real. Yeah, they supported uh, Tomorrow and The Knack on the 30th of June. And it says here they combined the deadpan wit of the Bonzo Dog Band and the social conscious lyricism of the Kinks. Oh, so sounds... you're right. No, I made up Cero Stratus, which I thought was absolutely cosmic. Which is, of course, a cloud formation. Shall I tell you about all that I know about clouds, which is not much at all? Go on. Not that far from, you know, I'm in South, I'm in North London. As I'm not that far from where I am in, uh, in Bruce Grove in Tottenham um, is my favourite blue plaque in the whole of London. And it's on a very old building, which keeps looking as if it's in, in danger of being demolished. But anyway... When you go down there, you see this blue, blue plank that says, in this house lived Luke Howard. Quite a cool name, Luke Howard. Namer of clouds. And he's the man. He was a kind of 18th century gentleman, vicar, polymath, who lived there. And he's the man who named, you know, cumulus cumulative numbers, all the all those different you know, what are there seven? I think there are seven or something yeah. like that. Seven different sorts of cloud. So I'm saying if you're gonna have a blue plaque for one thing, that is the coolest thing you can that possibly. That really genuinely is the coolest Isn't it? thing. Isn't Isn't it? It? We've only got Tommy Cooper in Barrogate Road. So you win. <laughs> well I'm quite chuffed to live near where Tommy Cooper was. Have you so got is that Tommy Cooper? Is that a blue plaque or is that a dead comic society kind of Oh thing? right, that is blue pack. Blue plaque. Oh is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well that's very yeah. good. It's good to know. It's good to Not know. Not bad. So okay, that's the uh, that's the stack waddy game. Um what else we gotta talk about? Hot news. Oh. I was gonna mention hot, that the hot hot, hot, hot news. Hot, hot news. <laughs> yeah. hot make, news. Can I make ticker tape ticker tape sound in the background? You know, go on. That's <laughs> right. No, it's just interesting about the fact that Cat Stevens had re-recorded Teeth and Tillerman. Did you see that? I did. And that's a re-recording. Yeah, it's 50th anniversary. It's a re-recording. It's not one of those um, total reinterpretations. People have done that in the past. The Shins, I think, did a completely new version of, of one of the records they had out. No, this is Cat Stevens just simply to, to, to mark the fact that it's 50 years old, putting out a new version of that record. He's done it with Paul Samuel Smith, 
who is the original producer, the producer know, yeah. of the Yardbirds. Uh, he's producing it, and the, the original guitar player, Alan Davis. Alan Davis. And, and it's really good. It's just kind of older, and it's wiser. And um, I thought it was quite... I can't think of anybody ever doing that. I can think of people of, of, of doing re-recordings for commercial reasons. There were lots of those, weren't there? Do you remember Loads Squeeze did that album? Loads Which was a note-for-note -note replica of... Um, of of all the various hits, which I presume is is is, is, is to you know to to, to get well, it's your because, copyright version used. Yeah, it? well, it's it's because you know you 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 don't do that well out somebody using the original version. Whereas if you produce a new one, you can you know renew the copyright or or something like that. And of course, loads of these people have done it for advertising reasons. Donovan, who who whose music certainly ten years ago you heard an awful lot. On television commercials, particularly for kind of, I don't know, you know, for kind of uh, high tech, uh, for for kind of uh, for cars and for, uh, for for phones and so forth, for mobiles. There's an irony, isn't it? Donovan songs being used to advertise cars. Well, well they always is... are. They always oh, no. are. They're 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 done because they make you think it's innocent. You know, the sound yeah. of Donovan is kind of woody and pastoral and innocent. Therefore, you can attach it to your Gas tinkling the crowd or whatever. That's right. no, this is a man who's your visual image of him is in a kind of gypsy caravan towed by a horse. Yeah, it? but he very very shrewdly he re-recorded all his big hits, you know, and there are many of them. You know, mellow yellow, and there is a mountain and sunshine Superman, and the, you know, quite a lot of hit records that are still very familiar to people, and he re-recorded them because basically. Uh, if you wanted the right to use the song, which he controlled, he would insist that you use that version, which he also controlled, rather than have Pi Records or your, or their successors, you know, continuing to make money out of it. So fair enough, you know. So there's no way you could use the original version. If that's the one you wanted. Well, if he if he was the person who controlled whether you used the song, he could tell you what version to use. And so, which Katrina and the waves drives the Spotify, uh, Spotify user completely mad because you must be trying to find the, the original Ex version of a song that you yeah, want to get this. That's certainly one of the things that, that, that sometimes happens. But um, Katrina and the Waves did this, didn't they? Because Walking on Sunshine was such a big deal as a, as a mu music in films and commercials and so forth that they went back in the studio and painstakingly recorded it. And it was apparently agony. Somebody in the band was telling me it was agony to do. It took them years because they had to make themselves sound like their kind of 25-year-old selves. You know, they did this in the 40s or 50s. Purely in order to be able to control the recording in the same way that they controlled the song. So if you wanted to use Walking on Sunshine, here's the version you use, which to the untutored ear would sound entirely the same, you know, because they're, they're very cleverly done. But it's interesting, the different, the different shades of this, because you talk about Cat Stevens and the attractions of an older voice. Yeah, I think there's some truth in that. Joni Mitchell did a record not that long ago called Travelogue. I don't know if you I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah. Where she did kind Covers of, of all, uh, old songs. orchestral versions of old songs. And there's some bits of it where you just thought, you shouldn't have done this at all. <laughs> What's the song where she sings California in that very distinctive way? It's off blue, I think. I can't remember. This flight tonight, I can't remember. River, I don't know. She was California. In I think it's called California. I'm sure. I think, oh, okay. I can't remember, yeah. Hey, better whatever. 
and she did it and she just voice clearly just couldn't hit the same notes that it once hit you know is it a case of you maybe it is it might have been yeah, i think yeah. it might have been a case yeah. of you or whatever but it just it particularly struck you on on that word you know it's, it's a it's a really dangerous dicey thing for artists to do because you know we've talked about this loads of times you know what they're doing is that they're they're interfering with your affair with the record that you've known for all these years they've they've got a different relationship with it you know whereas you don't want to hear any version other than the one you've always heard you know nobody nobody thinks I, I you know i think they could really improve waterloo sunset if they did it again tomorrow <laughs> that's the big issue with dylan though isn't it in principle i love dylan's idea this dylan's idea is is the song the version that i just happened to play at that moment is the version that gets put out but the song is a living thing and every time i play it i play it differently because we don't feel like that no no so when bob dylan gets up and plays a song you want to play it like the version you heard in 1967 well because we're he may be devoted to the song we're devoted to the record yeah different thing Completely different. Thing. Very, very different thing. So, um, but a lot of it's to do with anniversaries, isn't it? I mean, it's like we, who were we interviewing the other day? Um, oh, oh, Thomas Guy, Walsh. Ma- Thomas Walsh. No, 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 it was it was, was, Matt, it? It was Matt. It was Matt from uh, from Dodgy, uh, who was talking about oh, yeah. anniversaries, wasn't he? Uh, he said that if Dodgy and you know they they play from time to time, or they play quite regularly, but he says if we announce a load of dates, but just we're doing some dates. And we got a record out. People go, yeah, all right, okay. Whereas if you say it's the thirtieth anniversary of whatever it was, you know, people start to look in the diary and think, we better not leave this occasion unmarked. We ought to be there, kind of thing. That's a journalistic thing, isn't it? I mean, that's the way journalism works. You just sit and think, how can we? Got to have a hook. We've got to have a reason to write about this. You know, you look at something like the the the, the moon moon landing is a classic example, and it's forty ninth year, and it's fifty one fifty one. It's fifty first year, fifty one year. It kind of it's sort of invisible, isn't it? But for that brief moment on its fiftieth anniversary, absolutely blazing yeah, story yeah, all yeah, over the world. Yeah, no. Because once you once you're t- that a band is touring a certain record you think well where was i when that record came out what did that, what effect did that record have on me was it part of the soundtrack of my life yeah it makes you kind of focus your on your relationship with that record Kraftwerk did an amazing tour in 2013 where they did i think they think they did eight albums and they had a greatest hits package and, uh, and in between that they would drop in a complete version of one of these different albums a different one every night brilliant idea so totally. i can Talking about anniversaries, I just discovered today, it's 50 years ago this oh, Mike week, Nesmith. Yeah, yeah. it's Michael Nesmith's Magnetic South. Uh, Michael Nesmith and the first national band. I think that might have been the first of a number of, these are all really wonderful records. They all kind of look like this. You know, they all had that kind of, uh, you know, semi kind of... Um, official us logo on the cover you know there's magnetic south and there's nevada fighter and there's another one uh tantamount to treason and so forth and they're all really good they have two things in common one they're all really good and two you could not give them away you absolutely could not give them away. But Nobody got a bit wanted more popular that. We had a record in our, our place at college called Pretty Much Your Average Ranch Stash. You remember Great that came record. out in 1973? That's a really good record, the one with him winking on the cover. Really and good record. That was fa- fantastic. And also, you know, he, he was partly responsible for inventing what we, what I suppose, we call country rock to some extent, wasn't he? Well, I think now uh, they call it 
forgive me, alt country. Alt country. I hate that expression. Alt country. What a brilliant life, Mike Nesmith. Uh, I mean, admittedly, he had some independent wealth, didn't he, with the old, uh, the old uh, Tipex connection. Well, his, 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 well his, fact, his, which... his mother invented liquid correction paper. That's right. Yeah, and, and don't forget, there was a time when the invention of liquid correction paper was a major technological revolution, wasn't it? You know, the, here's the thing that you can paint over your mistakes. White paint. And retype. And when it's dry, you can type on it. It does seem absolutely we used to say, We used to say, back in, the, back in the days of the Smash Hits office, I've got to try and demonstrate this with a piece of paper now. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> My copy Mark, had so Mark, many corrections on it. Mark, it would just, it would be it solid. Rocked. It would rock. It some... rocked on the deck. <laughs> Mark Allen, we used to buy Tipex by the bucket in, back in the day because Mark used to... It had a kind of Artex so roller had gone up. That's, That's right. just absolutely I ridiculous. I know. Now, we're talking about, talking about bands that um, didn't get their just desserts. Last night on Danny Baker's uh, advisement, I watched... Um, there's a film on... Uh, it's on Amazon called Feats First, which is a rather unlovely name. For a film, about 90 minutes, I suppose it might even be longer, about Lowell George of Little Feet. It's kind of a very good straight film. Barney Hoskins, you know, is in it uh, as a kind of commentator. Van Dyke Parks, the great Van Dyke Parks, who was a mate of Lowell George and worked with him a lot, is in it. And, uh, and uh, George Massenberg have produced and engineered a lot of their later records. And... Um, and Russ Teitelman, who produced their early records. And um, it just, in a very workmanlike way, it tells the story of Lowell George. You know, bearing in mind the fact that, that in those days, you didn't leave behind you anything like the traces that people leave behind them now. You know, there isn't that much film of Little Feet. There is some, you know, there's on them on Whistletest, them on a German TV show called Rock Palace, them on an American thing as well. There's not an awful lot to go on, whereas nowadays absolutely everything is captured. And it's, um, it's got some really interesting features in there. It's got a wonderful clip, which I will try and put under this podcast, of Lowell George in a hotel room, probably either in Germany or Holland, I think, demonstrating a slide guitar to an enthralled local journalist. And uh, he is, you know, people used to think he was the coolest man in the world, you know, for, for that, that brief window. Uh, and he was watching. Despite the fact he was wearing dun denim dungarees. He was wearing denim dungarees. <laughs> I was talking to Daddy last night about, about you know, the, 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 there's a good story to be written about the strange fashion sense of Lowell George, you know, because he's the, the only rock star I've ever seen who took the stage wearing a pullover tied round him rather like peter alice the golf commentator might do you know what i mean he had those very kind of odd those very odd uh, little habits white clogs do you remember white clogs he wore yes. white clogs oh, i'm sorry dave he did i had white clogs i have no okay. <laughs> and uh, i probably had them because of little george and but anyway in this sequence where he's playing and singing he doesn't take the cigarette out of his mouth at any stage. And he sings really, really well while keeping the cigarette. With a cigarette in the corner of his mouth. Absolutely in the corner of his mouth. He sings and plays. He's absolutely remarkable. But the funny thing is that the, the kind of, uh, the subtext of a film, of this film, like so many films about rock legends, is 
What a just terrible shame it is that they never were, they were never more popular, you know, they were never, the great, the great public never really took to them in, in a big way. And I was thinking to myself, this gets overstated, you know, because A, I can, I can remember the days with Little Feet and they were never, they were never huge, but they were kind of, they were as big as you can get by being underrated, you know what I mean? And very often the groups we say are underrated are the ones who will never really be popular because there's something about them that's just too slightly awkward. And that's why we like them. We like them because they'll never be popular. That's why we didn't like the Doobie Brothers because they were popular. Like like Little Feet because they were there at all. And and they and and the subject that's constantly returned to in these interviews is well, if only the record company had got behind or if only they'd done this. And you think, what are the record company really supposed to do to make any difference in the, in the life of Little Feet? They did what they wanted to do. They did precisely what they wanted to do. I remember seeing them in 1977, one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life, actually. They were phenomenal. It was around the time it would have been Time, time Lots of Hero, probably, I think, you know, Red Streamliner, Day at the Dog Races. But I can remember thinking, there's, there's a very finite number of people who are ever going to like this. If you put on Little Feet at a party at the time, it's not like the entire room would go, what's yes. this? No. Oh, now we've started. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Open another keg, somebody, quickly. My life has begun. You know, they wouldn't. They'd go, I mean, a lot of people uh, would just think this is just, it's complicated and it's, uh, I don't, I don't, there's no way into it. And, uh, no, no, no. So, you know, they, you know, and also the other thing that struck me was, isn't it wonderful that 40 years later, or however many years it is, still some people are talking about them? And still somebody's making a film about them. They're not making a film about them to make a fortune. They won't do, you know. They just, they wanted to make a film about them. You know, so Little Feet, you know, and bands, they're not, they're never forgotten, are they? You know what I mean? They may, they may think, they may look back and think, oh, I should have been at number one rather than Cat Stevens or whatever. But they're not forgotten. Uh, and, and that's not nothing, is it? You know what I mean? It's, it's the same kind of fame, same kind of reputation in the world of literature, isn't it? You know, there's loads of books that people still talk about now and teach university courses on and, you know, are very treasured. They weren't bestsellers. I was going to say, they're never the popular ones, though, are they? Oh, no. you know, and, and had had Little Feet kept going and had they had massive hits, I mean, would people still be, would they be making documentaries about them now? I don't know. I don't think so. No, they, they would have fallen out in, you know. They would have fallen out in the, in, the most, uh, in the most terrible manner. And Bill anyway, Payne, key, a key player in that group, wasn't he? Well, it's interesting that Russ Titleman, I was really pleased to see him interviewed. I've never seen him interviewed before. He's really, he produced loads of really good records. And, um, and he says um, that Lord George was the kind of genius of the group, but Bill Payne was the key. And I think what he meant was that without Bill Payne, they couldn't lock it together anywhere. You know, he could, he could kind of make all those disparate bits, you know, mesh in some yeah. way. And I think I thought that was a really interesting point, really good. But it's, it's fair. There's also a fantastic George Massenberg, who, as I say, was a mate to Lowell George and produced lots of records. <laughs> He's, it's a classic case of when a band come, comes to Britain or like a British band went to the States, um, the slightest bit of success 
is massively amplified and distorted by the time it news of it reaches home. So as far as George Massenberg is concerned, because he wasn't with them when they came to London in 1975 or whenever it was, as far as he was concerned, they blew the Doobie Brothers off the stage at Wembley. <laughs> you think, no, not Wembley. The Rainbow Theatre in Finsbury Park, you know, on quite a, a Sunday difference. afternoon. Quite a big, big difference, you know. But obviously, and, and he also says at one point, whereas in Britain, Dixie Chicken, it went wild. No. No, it didn't. It, no, it didn't. I was there. It did a few kind of a few people liked it, no doubt about it. It did not go wild, but obviously, you know, Chinese whispers—that's how those things work. You know, by the time they get back to America, it's all oh, they've really broken Britain wide open. Why can't we do the same thing over here? It doesn't work like that, does it? At all? You're listening to the Word Podcast. It's a lockdown lock-in. If you're uh, watching this as well as listening to it, that probably means that you're one of our um, supporters on Patreon. In which case, very much welcome to the family. And we're um, expanding the number of, of products that are offered. Products, can we talk about that? Stuff that's offered to people who are Patreon supporters. Uh, we're very soon launching our um, podcast gold because we've actually found a cache of completely untouched, complete, unedited early podcasts or right throughout the entire history of the podcast which as you'll probably know is is long and so we're uh, we're actually representing some of those with a little bit of introduction from us giving a bit of uh, giving a bit of context uh what else can you do you can also take part in the word um special quiz which is friday evenings at six o'clock make a date and uh, sign up for that. We'll send you a, a Zoom link so you can take part in that quiz live with us. And also you can have the enormous, incalculable benefit of, of looking in, into the attics of myself and Mark Allen as we actually podcast to you. And so I think, Mark, you're going to uh, list the people who've been added to the role of honour in the last week, and you've been asked to do it in a very particular well, this, fashion. Yeah, it was Mark, this is Mark Bennett, who's written a, a very funny letter too, which I might read out actually in a moment, but Mark Bennett suggests I do it in appeal voice oh, for good. the new patrons. So I might as well do it. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the new patrons are as follows. If I'm any judge, there's Tony Flattery. <laughs> and uh, unless I'm entirely mistaken, there's Abigail Kinsella <laughs> and uh, your friend and mine, Mark Bennett. And, two, uh, two more uh, from him after the news. Two more from him after the news, as if by magic, Mike Shuttleworth <laughs> and uh, the irreplaceable Tyler Adams <laughs> and, <laughs> and the irrefutable Matt, Matt Verrill and the unimpeachable Ian McLeod and uh, a, a minor deity, Andy Swain. Uh, he speaks for all of us, Jason Rowe, uh, the truly magnificent Jeff Bailey, uh, ploughing his uh, uh, courageous furrow, uh, Mark Collins, the highly collectible Joe Collins, John Collins, sorry, bravely defined Chris Burton, in a sense, and in a manner of speaking, Mark Parker. In and, a sense. In a sense. And on 45, when she should have been at 33, Katie Carey, the uh, hat to <laughs> offer Adrian Ainsworth, uh, uh, the one and only one-man army that is Charles Cross and the utterly inimitable Mark McDonald. Oh, and the sensational Andrew Socks. 
Andrew uh, Stocks, indeed. Sorry, Andrew just, just this thing. Andrew Socks. Andrew Socks. Andrew Socks. Well, no, but Mark knows Andrew Socks. That's right. Mark Bennett wrote a nice letter. He said, hello, uh, David Marks. And I've been listening to your chat with John Wilson. And his comment about going on record with the question, so what is it about spaceships to Bowie, which made me laugh, remind me of the enemy interview that Danny Baker did with Earth, Wind and Fire. He teased us for a while with a longish preamble and then delivered his first question. So, Morris, how come you take so much cocaine? <laughs> and live to tell the tale. He also once reported that a Michael Jackson at a, about a Michael Jackson press, press conference, in which the Prince of Pop had a visible pimple. And I think Danny wrote something like, everyone tried to ignore it, but I hung my hat on it. <laughs> <laughs> he, once, he once told the public image guys that he liked their disco number, Fooda Stomp, and that they didn't cut up rough. Uh, but we're, we're kind enough to be proud of it. Uh, a collection of journo faux pas or pro provocations would make quite a good segment, I think. Can I, can I think of any? I can think of one classic. Go on. And we, we'll have to mention my name, Dave. Annie Nightingale. I'm oh. sorry, name and shame. Annie Nightingale interviewing Paul Simon. Do you remember that? On Many TV? years ago. In the 70s. In the 70s. And she said to him, um, said, how's it going with the songwriting? Now that Art Garfunkel's left. And there was that terrible, there was tumbleweed, wasn't there? Well, no, no, Paul Simon said, no, I, I, I can't think of anything more, more uh, likely to make uh, Paul Simon bristle. And there's a man who bristles at the drop of a hat um, because he, you know, obviously he wrote all those songs himself. And, uh, yeah, it was... Um, of course, in those, was, days, in those days, they didn't reshoot a thing like that, which they would do nowadays. If anybody... You, if you may you ask the wrong question nowadays, they just do it again. Well, it's probably live. No, it wasn't. No, it was on film. It was on film. <laughs> he just left it in there. They left it in I can, remember, I can remember it. I can remember it clearly. Oh, so we shame. were talking about the, um, the, the... You were talking to John Wilson about interviewing David Bowie, and the only time that it was difficult to interview David Bowie was during Tin Machine, because, of course, they had to be presented as a group. Because the only reason anybody's interested in going to see them is is because they're not a group. Oh, yeah, the PRs were saying, don't concentrate too much on David Bowie. On David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. And there is the story of the, somebody who went in, so the journalist who decided to get around this problem by walking into the room and going, first question, okay, who's a singer? <laughs> Which is a really clever idea. A really good way of getting his attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Absolutely perfect. Fantastic. So, well, well, you were you were talking about you you dropped me a line about Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy. Oh you know, yeah, well, I I just we've been talking about on one of those video cards, hadn't we, about um, the girl on the cover of the Trees album. Oh right, and you yeah. said that the girl on the cover of the Trees album was um, was she related to remember the Shadows? Was that she like? was the daughter of Tony Meehan, who was yeah. the drummer of the Shadows in the in the in the glory days. And subsequently, an A and R man, very well known person around the. Well, on that particular of... tip, that's right. I just started to. I don't know why I was looking up out of idle curiosity. The House of the Holy album cover. Did you know the little boy in that? Which an amazing cover, isn't it? I mean, Giant's Causeway in Ireland, and it's astonishing to get to ten days to get that picture. They were oh, out yeah. there for ten days because the weather was the, the weather was so terrible. The weather was so appalling. You just think that is the analog world summed up, isn't it? I know you would go out to Ireland for ten days with your child models who are going to be on there waiting for the right light. But anyway, no, it did something. The small boy is the BBC TV food presenter and writer Stephen Gates. Yeah, yeah, that interesting. Yep. Well, apparently, you know, all these these people who are all these anonymous people on these album sleeves. You wonder what well, I've actually, I've got a few here. With Go me. on, go yeah. on. 
we talked about this, haven't we? We have planned this. Let's not pretend it's spontaneous. Yeah. So I've got here, of course, there are a few classics here. Bob Dylan bringing it all back home. Who's that woman with him in, in the living room? Go on. That is Grossman. That's his manager's wife, Sally Grossman. So what, what was her name? Sally, Sally Grossman, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Another Bob Dylan record, one of his most curious album covers, of course, uh, John Wesley Harding, which has the kind of the least art-directed photograph you can possibly imagine. It really is a snap, isn't it? Of him with the balls of Bengal, who are these uh, the musicians from Bengal who were over in Woodstock, I think. I think Albert, Albert Grossman was kind of managing them or looking after them. But who was this guy at the, in the back here? He was, a, he was a handyman, wasn't he? He was a carpenter or something, wasn't he? A carpenter or a plumber? He, he'd come to fix the fence, apparently. That's right. Albert Grossman's, um, Albert Grossman's property. And, uh, and ended up becoming immortal as a consequence. But uh, when that record came out, I have to say, I... I actually, had, I don't know how old I was, you know, I don't know, 60 or I, I, No, young, much younger. I, I, I actually thought that must be the, the people on it. I, I thought that must be Charlie McCoy and Kenny Buttery oh, and somebody else. <laughs> I don't know, maybe the producer or something. I had absolutely no idea. Because it doesn't tell you. Charlie McCoy. I think that's Charlie McCoy and <laughs> Kenny Buttery. Could they really look like that? I mean, what, no, there was no, no, no explanation for it at all. Astonishing. Uh, I've also got, probably from the same year, uh, Fairport Convention, Unhalf Bricking, which is a beautiful, beautiful cover, which people may uh, may know. And uh, it's taken in Wimbledon, I think. And it's taken outside the home of Sandy Denny, with the band in the background, having tea on the lawn, and posing at the gate as, as kind of proud parents and proprietors. Sandy Denny's mum and dad. And it's a lovely picture, isn't it? It's a fantastic picture. It's fantastic. But again, was that, did that explain on the cover who they were? Because I don't think it did. Not at all. Not at all. So you had no idea because, I mean, in a way, at that, at that time, to even acknowledge that you had parents yes. was embarrassment. <laughs> that you weren't, you weren't raised rock, by Rock wolf. musicians, pop musicians, folk musicians, all of them were born in the back of a, you know, back of a minibus travelling up the M1. You know, they're born in, what's this one? Oh, yeah, oh, this is a yeah. strange one. It's... Uh, Dexy's been a runners uh, searching for the young soul rebels where they just, they had a picture. This was a picture that had been taken years earlier of a, uh, I think a, a Catholic family being forced to relocate in Belfast. In Belfast. Uh, at the beginning of 1971 or something like that, when people were getting When they were threatened burnt, with uh, burnt internment. So That's far, right. Yeah. yeah. And, well, no, and, uh, and it's just this child looking, you know, kind of fraught and but strangely charismatic uh, and with his picture. possessions under his, under his arm. Yeah, it was called and Anthony O'Shaughnessy. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this one, The Cure, Standing on a Beach, uh, the singles, uh, with, uh, with a, a gentleman looking at the camera. It looks like a kind of, looks like a lesser known poet, doesn't it, really? It, it does. You know, it's kind of... It, He's somebody who wasn't quite as famous as Seamus Heaney or something, but he's all of that generation. He was apparently just a resident. He's come resident. from central casting. Yeah. He was just a local resident, apparently. You know, on the beach, wherever they took that picture. And they just said, would you like to be on an album cover? Oh, yeah, all right, fine. And, of course, the strangest one... He gave a very sweet little interview, that guy. I can remember oh, saying really? that, uh, you know, yeah, he gave a little interview saying, I just did to help out. We've, we've, got to, we've got to try and encourage the young people to make to their music, that. and if it helps publicise. And I thought that was really, really sweet. <laughs> I know. 
and of course i've got there here the U was this first u2 album boy oh yeah it yeah is, boy that's right a very beautiful boy on the cover who was the boy it's called peter rowan was that the guy peter rowan is now a photographer i think and he was on the back of the i think he's on the back of the war album too it was the same child. Yeah, same yeah, child. Yeah, it probably was, yeah. wasn't it? Probably was. Yeah, he's 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 the brother of uh, of Googie of the Virgin Prunes. Oh right, that's who's a great right. mate of Bono's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, I'm fascinated by how how all that stuff pops up on you know on album covers, and I'm fascinated by. What about covers. the UFO album you were talking about the other day? Have you got that one? No, I haven't got that. But UFOs, you may know UFOs album Force It. This is a rather agonizing pun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where there's a couple having standing, you know, perpendicular sexual congress in a uh, in a shower, aren't they? And I only recently discovered it's a terrible pun on the word faucet, which oh, I yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, talk about album covers that nobody would do today. Ooh, <laughs> that's pride of place. Yeah. And uh, but the two people are um. Our uh, Genesis P Orridge, and uh, how do we, what do you call it? Cozy Fanny Fan Tutti. That's right. Because they were kind of mates of Peter Christopherson, who was one of the partners in in hypnosis at the time, and uh, you know, so that was just one of the ways that they. Uh, that was they this one? Was this oh God! Why you got always nearby? Oh, the incredible string band. Hangman's beautiful. beautiful daughter. What a fantastic picture that is! Taken on Christmas Day, nineteen sixty-seven. And that's uh, uh, Robin Williamson and Mike Heron, and two mates who I think were called Roger Marshall and Nikki Walton. And they're at the house of a, of a girl called Mary Stewart, who's a friend of us, who had a little house in the kind of in the in the mountain area where they used to go and uh, go hill climbing. In fact, that's where they met Rose Simpson, I think. And that's seven of her children in the picture. Isn't that amazing? Seven of her children. Wow. Seven. No, it's five of the other. Sorry, five. Of them. five oh of them. right. Okay. Oh, well, it's, it's a beautiful, fantastic. It's a beautiful picture. And of course, it wasn't. Was it on the original British cover? The original yeah. British. Was it? I don't think. Yeah, I it's on the back. That. That's the front. But okay. now they've switched yeah, it. That's the picture oh, okay. everybody really loves. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's beautiful. It's a fantastic it's image. Fantastic it's a one, wonderful oh, image. And uh, no doubt accomplished without stylists or Winnebago or airbrush. Yeah, there weren't like, kind of trestle table tables. Weighed down with you know Waldorf salad. Yes, <laughs> can you be weighed down with a Waldorf salad? You wanted to say something about Sting and his um, and his uh, torment. Oh yeah, Sting. Well, I mean, it was just interesting. He 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 posted this really sweet thing about his roadie Billy Francis. Did you read it? I don't know if you read that. Did I send it to I you? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this guy he'd been working with for forty years who died. It was really touching. He said, "We've been friends now." Billy said, "We've been friends now for over four decades, and I may have spent more time with you than I spent my wife and kids." Literally thousands upon thousands of gigs trekking from city to city country to country and enough long-haul flights across the planet to reach the moon and back this is the guy that got onto the stage on time every time they were never late never he's very proud of this you know they did I'm their sure. two-hour show totally looked after me said without him it would have been impossible to be in our life for over 40 years he said we were like a straggling line of ducks chasing their mother and that was really touching, you know, it made me think that the whole, the music industry must be full of those little invisible relationships that you don't know much about. When I went on the road with you 2 they had a guy um, who was the, the uh, sound technician for The Edge called Dallas Shoe, who'd been with them about 31 years, you know, same thing, completely responsible for that incredible Edge orchestral sound of his guitar, you know. 
and uh, and Neil Brockbank, the producer and, um, and sound man for for Nick Lowe, and he and he and Neil and, and and Nick went all over the world together, just the two of them putting on these little shows. Became absolutely inseparable pals. And you just yeah, they, there's an extraordinary close relationship. We've really got no idea of it. Well. Bruce Springsteen, the guy, uh, Terry McGovern, who died a few years back for 30 years or whatever, was the guy who was always just like two feet away from Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, everywhere but on stage kind of thing, you know. And uh, because these, these guys never write books. <laughs> these guys know absolutely everything there is to know you know and so there's a hugely not true of richard cole of led zeppelin actually <laughs> oh right he did he wrote a book, then went back didn't he well he actually he didn't write the book but i mean the entire book was based the hammer of the gods was entirely based on his testament wasn't it and then went yeah. back to work for them again yeah 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 incredible but, but mostly they don't write books you know and uh, and it's really interesting about sting's man you know because you know within a kind of a bunch of musicians the only there is only one person who is really organized and it's the tour manager and massively well organized they have to be because nobody else is at all nobody right? else is and I, I remember i remember standing in the lobby of a hotel years ago with uh level 42 was staying there and uh, Paul Crockford was there. Paul Crockford is a very experienced manager of all kinds of bands. And he looked at me when we waiting in the lobby for the band. He says, what is it about the ability to pay, play a musical in instrument that makes people incapable Capable of being in a lobby? Of being in a lobby at an appointed time. Just simply can't do it. And also, Jane, all musicians have built into them this kind of idea that to turn up on time is somehow kind of, you know, says the wrong thing about you. Yes. <laughs> you care too much. You know, efficiency is not the right brand value for the person who's got to be, uh, you know, is actually the musician on stage. No, no, true. But uh, yeah, it was very, very touching, uh, very touching memoir. And, uh, you know, those relationships are, are very, very strong, you know, and they, and of course they last far longer than anybody thinks they're going to last they at the time they start, you know, they think, oh, they do, and I'll do one tour say, or whatever, you know, carry on and, forever. And they say they spend more time with those people than they do with their, uh, you know, their own families. And it's I'm true. Sure, I'm sure. Bit like you and me. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.